Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Some brands offer you low finance or cashback or servicing. Renault don't do ors. We do ands. The Renault Kajar with 1.91% APR and 1,000 euro cashback and three years servicing. Saving you thousands. Renault, the brand with the ands. Visit your local Renault dealer. Finances made under a higher purchase agreement. Terms and conditions apply. Deposit required. Subject to lending criteria. See Renault.ie. Blog Talk Radio. Saturday. We are into October. It's the 4th of Saturday, 2014. Welcome to Earth Ancients, startling new discoveries from our plans to some past. This is Cliff, your host. And today is a hot day here in Oakland. We are having a heat wave. It's like 95, which is very rare for Oakland. Um, and uh, well, what do you say? It's a uh, global warming. Everyone tells me it's global warming could be some seasonal issues. Uh, I'd sure like it to rain, though. I don't like the heat. So anyhow, I hope this uh, broadcast finds you well and in good spirits. Um, I'm only going to spend a little bit of time um, discussing current events because our guest today, Robert Baval, uh, it was recorded earlier this morning. We had some technical difficulties. That's why some of you... Uh, may be listening and wondering why you were not able to hear the program this morning. Robert flew in from France uh, to Minneapolis to do a conference and 
the time zone changes were a little off, so he didn't get on. We didn't get a, a chance to record him at our normal 10 a.m. time, so we'll, we'll listen to him real quickly um, here in a second. I want us to bring up a few points um, because it's a fabulous um, interview, and it's an eye-opener, too. There's some new information regarding the, uh, the pyramids. Um, <clears throat> each week... I talk about uh, events that are that are posted on Facebook. Remember, our Facebook page, Earth Ancients, is the uh, sister uh, st uh, blog slash information uh, outlet that we um, use to reference. And I'm just going to go over two areas real quickly today um, that are important for this week in uh, ancient Earth, Earth ancient um, news. The first one is uh, about, um, uh, I'd say two, I want to say 30 days to 60 days ago, Graham Hancock uh, was in Indonesia, and he reported on an unusual site in uh, Ganug Penang. Uh, and this is in Indonesia. And what local archaeologists had discovered is turning out to be quite a significant find. And what they found is the top of a, a, a massive pyramid and uh, the stones that are cut to form this pyramid um, are cut with precision. Um, uh, they have found various mel uh, metals that have been smelted, uh, meaning there's a, a multiple type of um, metal within the actual finished piece. Um, there's reports they found coins uh, and other metal uh, items. But what is most fascinating about this discovery is the dates that are come back uh, from testing, C14, carbon-14 uh, testing. Um, the first test that uh, came back were uh, uh, and that's uh, remember C14 is dating organic material found on the site. Uh, I think they dug a couple of feet um, to pull this this organic matter. And what they found uh, as a first date was uh, 5,200 BC, so about 7,000 years ago. The first layer. Uh, was occupied. Now, that's very old. That's older than the pyramids as we understand them according to conventional uh, Egyptology. But that's just the first test that they um, have made. They uh, have dug very deep into what has been discovered as uh, man-made chambers. And uh, this is what's fascinating. Uh, they uh, took some of the uh, uh, organic material they found there. I think there were some bones and, and um, I'm not sure what else. But the second series of tests came back 22,000 BC or roughly 26,000 years ago. And this is at the uh, fifth level um, which has sophisticated rooms and uh, engineering of the space, steps, uh, perfectly aligned um, uh, stones and, and uh, interior 
and it's not even that's not even the, the the furthest depth of this construction. So, whenever you have a date of twenty six thousand years and it's a sophisticated pyramid, pyramid being a uh, well engineered, mathematically formed, uh, and designed building. And by the way, pyramids are very are not easy to put together. Uh, they, they require precise engineering um, and a design. Uh, to form a weight-bearing structure with a pyramid shape, it's it's uh, it's it's you know it's not that easy to do, um, especially at the size we're talking about here, which is I think it's a 200-foot structure. But anyhow, so they have come back with this date, and this is throwing the archeolo archaeological and scientific world into a spin because, uh, and this is what Graham has uh, reported. By the way. Uh, the article was posted October 2nd, and the title is uh, uh, Latest News from the Excavations at uh, Ganug Penang, or Padang, the mysterious, mysterious Ancient Pyramid in Indonesia that is rewriting history. And Graham wrote a short article. He lists quite a bit of information in there. And uh, it is, it's, it's a it's a groundbreaker. It's it's a serious um, challenge to orthodox history. And what does that mean? Well, most most orthodox historians, uh, archaeologists, and anthropologists would date anything in that time period, twenty thousand years or be, or actually ten thousand years or, or older, uh, uh, to the. Uh, they would assign mankind to hunter gatherers, meaning that we are pretty much uh, uh, grunting uh, humanoids, scavenging the earth, uh, gathering in groups to uh, hunt down uh, whatever livestock was around. Not a lot of, uh, not a lot of smarts. <laughs> we're, I think we're in pretty rudimentary shape. So this, this discovery changes all that. And... Uh, so I really uh, I think it's it's something that that I I really am encouraging people to uh, to read. There's also a, a couple of diagrams of what the uh, pyramid structure used to look like, um, and also um, two days ago I found a image of some of the metal that was discovered um, uh, at I think a depth of about a about 50 meters. Uh, a couple hundred feet, and um, it's quite amazing. It's quite amazing. It's, it's one of those discoveries that really kind of changes things. So pick, make sure you take a look at that. Um, and then real quickly, I want to mention that um, I have posted a uh, a new photo of um, El Mirador, which is in Guatemala. It's an ancient Mayan city, and um, I was sent uh, another photograph of the Citadel area where there is a uh, an amazing sculpture um, that was uh, discovered by uh, Dr. Richard Hansen, uh, the lead archaeologist uh, of that excavation. Uh, and El Miador, by the way, is now considered one of the, if not the oldest Mayan cities in the world. Um, it dates it, it it dates to uh 1800 BC which is a 
means they would be contemporaries of the Olmec, um, and they're not done. There's uh, multiple layers, and as they continue to excavate, um, it is pushing our understanding of Mayan history further back, uh, which has always been my contention that the Maya are very, very old. But anyhow, the article is called, uh, Is This Really One of the Mystical Hero Twins of the Pulpavul, which is the Mayan book of the ancients? Um, and uh, the contention I have is that this uh, carving is of someone in space. It's a man in space. It's not a twin from the Pope of View. It is a man uh, floating in space, and he has a jet pack on. Yes, a jet pack. And what is a jet pack? Well, it's a, it's a device to propel someone in space and uh, move them along um, so they can travel in a zero oxygen and zero uh, gravity environment. Why do I say it's a jetpack? Because this is the best evidence we can see of a emission coming out of the back of this uh, device, a jetpack. So anyhow, take a look at that. Um, I'm a fascinated by the Mayan ruins, and I do spend a lot of time, uh, or try to spend a lot of time in Central America, because that's really where some of the most groundbreaking uh, discoveries are being found. So uh, Facebook, uh, Earth Ancients, if you go to Facebook, just type in Earth Ancients. Um, you'll see a photograph of um, Cusco uh, above, actually, Sacsayhuaman, which is um, the ancient city above. Actually, it's a they call it the fort, which is kind of a, a complex of buildings above Cusco, and that's the main photograph. So do take a look. Okay. Um, we had problems recording uh, Buval, Robert Buval today um, because of the bad connection, number one, and also he was late. But this is an important uh, interview. I, I say it's important not only because the first question I ask is, what happened where uh, Dr. Zahi Hawass, uh, why did Hawass uh, accuse him accuse Robert of uh, being the mind behind the two Germans who entered the Great Pyramid and apparently uh, cut into the wall above the king's chamber. That was the first question. But then hang with me because he gives a long explanation about uh, uh, why he was accused and what these two uh, scientists, these German scientists, actually discovered. That's the first part, and that goes on for the first 10 minutes. Hang in there because the second half is very, very unique, and Robert gets into uh, quite a bit of information regarding the, uh, uh, the Gantenbrink door, which is in the Queen's Chamber, and is the uh, door that is only accessible using remotely driven vehicles. Uh, the Gantrink door is unique because uh, it actually shows that the builders of the pyramid uh, were basically their engineering geniuses. Uh, and I'll let him, I'll let uh, Robert Duvall uh, explain that. Um, a number of other areas are covered. Uh, this is going to be longer than an hour. 
So hang in there, listen to it, and I think you'll be uh, pleasantly surprised at uh, what comes up in the meeting and in the discussion. So here is Robert Bavall, uh, and uh, uh, enjoy. Welcome to the program, Robert Bavall. Um, uh, you're pre-recording this, are you? Yes, it's pre-recorded. But um, yeah, can you tell me how long your interview will be so I can sort of gear my my talk? It's sixty minutes. Sixty minutes, one hour. Yeah, one hour. And okay. um, I do have some uh, questions for you, but uh, of course, your book has been um, uh, updated since you first wrote it in 1999. But I just want to give our audience a little idea about who you are, Robert Bavall began studying ancient Egypt and uh, Giza pyramids in 1983. The acclaimed discoverer of the Orion uh, Correlation Theory, he is the author of several books including Black Genesis, Breaking the Mirror of Heaven, The Vatican Heresy, and the bestsellers The Orion Mystery and Message from the Sphinx. So, welcome to the program, Robert. Uh, it's a pleasure. Yes. So, uh, the big question most of us in America have is this, uh, the claim by uh, uh, Hawass that in uh, uh, last year, the two German student archaeologists uh, entered the cha king's chamber, climbed to the highest level, a place known as uh, cha uh, Campbell's, Campbell's Room, cha yeah. chamber, and scratched some of the uh, cartouche uh, or the graffiti of uh, King uh, Khufu and uh, Zawai uh, uh, Hawass uh, uh, accused you of being the mastermind behind the, uh, the uh, this crime. Now, Absolutely. in the book, this is the last part of the book, but because we didn't really get the the the, 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 fi the final phase of this, what can you tell us about this acquisition? Uh, acquisition? Yeah, well, okay, let me let me fill you in, as they say. Sure. Um, the story begins, really, on, on on the 17th of April last year, in 2013, when two Germans, uh, one called Dominic Gorlitz and another one called Stefan Erdmann. Now, uh, Stefan Erdmann is a writer of ancient mysteries. Uh, he wrote several books in German. I don't think they're in English. Uh, but basically, uh, uh, what you need to know is that uh, Stefan Erdmann has uh, actually lived in Egypt for quite a while mm. uh, and has been visiting the Giza necropolis uh, where the pyramids are and the Sphinx for the last 40 years. So that's Stefan Erdmann. Dominic Gorlitz is an uh, experimental archaeologist. He has a PhD in experimental archaeology. Uh, just as a curiosity, uh, Dominic Gorlitz is the uh, successor to the famous uh, Norwegian, uh, sorry, Swedish explorer, Thor Heyerdahl. Oh, my God. You remember Thor Heyerdahl and the Komtiki? Yes, of course. Uh, right. So uh, Dominic Gorlitz is actually uh, has a society with the son of uh, Thor Heyerdahl. I used to know Thor Heyerdahl, by the way. Wow. And uh, his real interest is, uh, is ancient navigation. He's about to uh, launch a... Um, an Egyptian style, ancient Egyptian style boat to prove again that the uh, that the, uh, the Atlantic can be crossed. Anyway, so that's that's Dominic Gorlitz. Uh, Dominic Gorlitz had never been to Egypt. 
So here we are, these two guys applied for a private visit permit uh, to enter the, the, the Great Pyramid mm -hmm. uh, outside normal hours. Uh, again, uh, one of the curiosity about visiting the Great Pyramid is that uh, between the hours of 8 o'clock in the morning till 4.30 in the afternoon, this is normal hours, and uh, you buy a ticket and, uh, and you go in with the, with the rest of the tourists. Whereas you can apply for a private visit permit, which is uh, which goes through a travel agent, a registered travel agent who applies to the Ministry of Antiquities, and uh, they allocate a day and, and a date. Usually, it's in the morning between 4 a.m. to 8 a.m. Uh, or uh, in the evening, usually between 6 and 8. It's a two-hour permit. Okay. So you're still there? Yes. Go ahead. Ah, yeah. I'll have to ask you because occasionally I'm worried that the phone cuts off. Oh no! I'm holding I, a hand. Yeah, we're on Skype, and so it's a good connection. I hear you perfectly. Uh, uh, excellent. Okay. So, okay. Excellent. Yeah. So, okay. Fine. So go ahead. All right. So uh, that's the scene, and uh, they got a permit uh, through this travel agent to enter the pyramid on the 17th of April on at between six and eight in the evening. They had requested, I mean, oddly enough, they had requested to have a five-meter ladder available. Now, this is very unusual because that's not normally part of the visit. But anyway, uh, here they went to the pyramid on that prescribed time and date, and uh, they were met uh, by the travel agent who asked for the permit by another five uh, people from the uh, Egyptian side. There were... I think three inspectors from the antiquity department and two security police. So they and had they three go. inspectors with them on their uh, when they went up to the to the, to the Campbell's chamber. Well, well let, let, let me let me. Oh, me, oh go me ahead, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's important because you've asked me. Uh, you know, people yeah. listening to this yeah. need to know the, the the real story because yes, it's been distorted yes. so much. Yes. All right. Anyway, so in they go, and uh, a lot of people don't know this. But uh, their main objective was to take samples from the ceiling of the king's chamber. There are three chambers in the pyramid. Uh, one is the subterranean chamber underground. There is the so-called queen's chamber within the superstructure. And then, of course, the famous king's chamber, which is the, the highest chamber. Uh, and as you rightly pointed out, above the king's chamber are five so-called relief chambers. But I'll get to that in a minute. Anyway, so there they are. They go all the way up to the king's chamber, and the ladder is there available for them. And uh, Dominic Gorlitz uh, climbs the ladder, and his objective is to scrape off uh, from the ceiling beams. Now, the ceiling beams, in fact, the whole chamber is made of solid, uh, of, 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 of blocks of granite, uh, gigantic blocks that form the ceiling. There's nine blocks uh, beams that weigh something like 70 tons each. It's really a massive uh, type of construction. And the objective was to scrape off from the edges of these beams uh, from black markings that they had seen in photographs. They, they suspected that these black markings might contain some, something that, uh, that is unusual. Anyway, so up they go. The Dominic goes, goes up the ladder, uh, takes 14 samples, from these beams. Now, the samples, uh, frankly, I, I've seen photographs of them later. 
it's a few milligrams that is scraped off. I mean, you can't even see uh, from when you're at the. On so the it's floor like the dust. Table. It's like a dust particle. Yeah, I mean, if you sneeze on them, they'll disappear. If you see uh -huh. what I mean. Right. It, because they were going to be examined, of course, uh, uh, scientifically with the, with the, with the microscopes and so forth. Anyway, so that's what they did. They went out of the king's chamber. Apparently, they still had plenty of time with a two-hour permit, and uh, they decided to go into the relief chambers above the king's chamber. Now, let me tell you what these things are. These chambers were discovered in 1837 uh, by a British explorer called Howard Weiss. They were not known to exist before that time. They were sealed. Uh, Howard Weiss uh, broke into this chamber using gunpowder. And uh, one of the, apart from the, the bizarre uh, construction, there's, there's five chambers, one on top of the other. They're very low, by the way. Uh, you really have to crouch to be in them, except the top one. Hmm. So the top one has a pitched roof, and you can stand in there. And uh, now the interesting thing about these chambers, other than what do they mean, we're still, we're still not clear why they have these chambers, is that they contain graffiti painted in red ochre paint. Mm -hmm. uh, now, here is the thing. Uh, the graffiti appears in the last, or rather, the, not on the lower chamber, but in the, in the other four chambers. The topmost chamber, the one with the pitched roof, uh, has a very special graffiti, which is known, which, as you mentioned, it's called the cartouche a cartouche. Now, a cartouche is an oval-shaped design. Uh, the reason it's called cartouche, it resembles a cartridge. The French uh, explorers called it a cartouche. Mm -hmm. And inside this oval shape is hieroglyphs that spell out the name of the king. And in this particular cartouche, in the topmost chamber, it's known as Campbell's chamber, by the way. Uh, they give it English names by the explorer. So in Campbell's chamber, this cartouche, which is on the south side of the chamber, uh, on one of the beams that form the pitched or the, or the gabled roof, uh, has the name of Khufu. Uh, Khufu is the name of the uh, supposed king of the fourth dynasty who uh, was responsible for this pyramid. And this was to Egyptologists, the proof positive, uh, the smoking gun, if you like, that the pyramid belonged to this particular king, King Khufu. Uh, as you may know, the Great Pyramid does not contain inscriptions um, either inside or outside. So this was a very big deal. It's the, the sort of holy grail, if you like, of pyramid exploration because there you are. There was the name of the king um, uh, confirming uh, at least that the pyramid was built during his reign. Mm -hmm. And uh, above, you'll have to interrupt me if you want. Dan. One of those. No, 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 no. I, 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 I want you to go. I have. I want you to go ahead and do the preliminary, and then. Of course, the accusation is the key. I'm getting there. I'm yeah. getting there. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. it's important that you know the, the, the background to You're all this good. before the accusation comes. I, I'm, we're standing on pins and needles. Go ahead. <laughs> right. I'm getting there. Don't worry. <laughs> anyway, so uh, this cartouche is, as you appreciate, it's, uh, it's the signature. Uh, although it was written by a worker, it's, it's graffiti in paint. Uh, but it is, in a sense, the signature uh, confirming the, 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 that this pyramid was built during the reign of Khufu. Uh, it's, it, uh, from, a, from an artifact, it's really worth nothing, but from its meaning, because it has that, that implication, of course, to Egyptology and to, his, to history, 
It's, it's, it's very, very precious. Anyway, so that's it. That's it. Now, these, these guys, now we come back again to these two Germans. They placed the ladder outside the, the king's chamber, which is at the top part of the um, grand gallery. And the ladder has to be attached to another ladder because you have to climb something like eight meters to reach a small tunnel to enter those relief chambers. So without a ladder, it can't be done. So clearly, this was all prepared for them. That's one of the problems with this, with this, uh, with this accusation, is that clearly the, the, whoever organized this was in cahoots with the Germans. In any case, here they go up the ladder. It's Dominic Golitz again who goes up the ladder with a filmmaker. So there's three Germans, in fact. There is uh, Stefan Erdmann at the bottom of the ladder, Golitz goes up the ladder, and a filmmaker called Jan Gartlich. So that's the scene. They go up there. They're a bit confused because uh, Stefan Erdmann, who's been in there many times, does not want to go. He gets into a panic. It's very dangerous. It's dark. So Dominic Golitz finds himself up there in the first chamber with the filmmaker. They're not quite clear what to do. Uh, Erdman shouts, go to the topmost chamber, go to, go to the southwest corner, you'll find a cartouche, and uh, help yourself to a small sample. And so they go up there. Uh, it's quite a struggle, by the way. It's, it's really, uh, it's almost alpinism. You have to go through these chambers, and it's very tight, and by the time you get to the topmost chamber, you're totally exhausted. Mm. The air is very thin. And in the, in the chamber, Dominic rushes to the uh, uh, southwest corner, finds a hieroglyph that looks very much what he's looking for, uh, takes about two milligrams of this red oil paint, they go out, they, they put the, 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 the sample in a little plastic container, and they go back to Germany. So that's the story. Now, here's the weird thing. They had filmed all the activities that they did in the pyramid. Their intention was to do a TV documentary. And in Germany, uh, here they are, uh, and they decide to do a trailer. And uh, the trailer is put on YouTube in November, so that's several months after what they did in the pyramid. And this is where hell breaks loose, uh, because Dr. Zahi Hawass uh, sees this trailer, like everybody else did, as a matter of fact, and uh, literally loses his head and uh, amazingly accuses me of having uh, paid these Germans to go and steal this, uh, this sample of the cartouche uh, in order to, and here's the weird one, in order to prove that the pyramid was built by the Jews during captivity. Okay, Which, well, course, let's, let me just stop you right there. Uh, your book goes through quite detailed uh, background of Hawass, his uh, his education, who he su- was supported by as a young student and then an Egyptologist, all the way to being part of the Supreme Council who's in charge. Why is he accusing you, Robert Baval, who an author uh, of the various uh, uh, Giza Plateau phenomenon, why is he picking on you, is the question. A very good question. Well, uh, it's well known that uh, Zahir Was and I have been in, uh, in, a, in a head-to-head battle since the 1990s. Mm. Uh, I wrote a book uh, in 1994 uh, called The Orion, Orion Mystery, mm-hmm. which, uh, which was his number one bestseller and caused quite a commotion in Egyptology. Uh, you know the background to this. Yes, uh, yes. Uh, uh, this uh, is the book that, that basically shows the Orion belt is aligned with the shafts of the pyramid. Yeah, it shows that the three pyramids on the ground uh, 
form the same pattern as Orion's belt uh, right. because and, and, and in a nutshell yeah. there are shafts within the pyramid that points to this uh, particular constellation right. there are texts that tell us the king wants to go to this constellation so anyway yeah. from there on uh, it was kind of customary for uh, Hawass and I to be pitched against each other in TV documentaries uh, and newspapers okay. and, All right. but his, his usual accusation with me which is very odd was always accusing me of being uh, a Jew and a Zionist, uh, trying to subvert <laughs> Egyptian culture and that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, for you, it may sound weird, but in Egypt, this is a sort of very vilified accusation because, as you know, Egypt has been at war with Israel for uh, several yeah. times, and so it. I mean, I took it with a with a pinch of salt, of course, uh, throughout the years. Yeah. Uh, it got very vicious in 1996 when I wrote a book with Graham Hancock called. Uh, the message of the Sphinx, and we exposed all sorts of hanky-panky that he was doing with various organizations, uh, taking bribes and so forth. And so there you are. I mean, he basically, I'm his nemesis. I'm his Nate, Jeremy Nadler of, of, of Egyptology. So, uh, you know, I, I wasn't surprised at all that he made this accusation. What really pissed me off, if you don't mind my, my, my language, is that uh, he said that the Germans actually had stolen the cartouche. Now, I was in Italy at the time when, when, when he gave this interview to the Egyptian papers. I was in Trieste giving a conference mm -hmm. in, the, in the north of, of Italy. And, of course, I, I tried to find out these Germans. I had never heard of them. I managed to find out uh, where Dominic Golitz was. He was in New York at the time, uh, having a meeting with one of the exploration societies. And he was uh, totally flabbergasted. I mean, he, he, although he knew of me, he had... He, couldn't understand why this accusation was made in this way. But at that point, I said, well, listen, did you guys steal the cartouche? Now, in order to steal the cartouche, you literally have to break it off the wall. Right. And that would be quite a, quite a job. I mean, you need some cutting tools. And So he said, he said two things. He said, not only we didn't steal the cartouche, but we didn't even touch it. So I said, well, come on. I mean, uh, the, the, the Hawass has made this accusation. So over the, it's gone viral. It's on, on BBC, CNN, yeah. uh, Fox TV, every single newspaper. And he, said, he kept insisting we did not touch the cartouche. And in fact, he sent me pictures showing me where they took the sample. Now, to be honest, I'm a bit confused why they, they, they didn't actually take it from the cartouche. This is a fact. I'll tell you. You'll understand why in a minute. They actually went a few, uh, a few yards away from the cartouche and they took it from another graffiti. It's a fact. They, they sent me the pictures. Mm -hmm. But quite honestly, I, you know, at this stage, I didn't know the guys and I wasn't too sure if they were telling me the truth. But I remembered at that point that uh, my colleague, uh, Robert Schock, Robert Schock of Boston University, yes. you know, the man who made the controversy over the age of the Sphinx, the John yeah. West. We had him on the program, both him and John oh, West. Oh, well, so. you know Robert Chalk. Yes. Uh, Robert is an old friend of mine, and I wow. knew that Robert Chalk had been in these chambers. I've never been, by the way. Ah, okay. Uh, but, yeah, it's one of those strange things. I've, I've never been up there. Right. But Robert Chalk had been there in, in 2003. In fact, I was with him in Egypt when he went there. He did a documentary with the Russian TV crew. And I knew he went there again in 2006, so I called Boston University and I asked Robert, but listen, do you, do you have pictures? Because, I mean, the whole point of going in Campbell's chamber is to see this cartouche and take pictures. So Robert, of course, had the pictures, and lo and behold, when he sent the pictures, in 2003, but one thing I can tell you, before I jump to tell you what, what these pictures uh, proved, is that 10 days after Zahir Watt made this accusation, 
the Ministry of Antiquities, uh, the new minister, sent a group of inspectors to go up there to check whether the cartouche was stolen, and in fact it was not stolen, it was there. Mm-hmm. So that changed the whole... But what they noticed uh, is that there were some scratches on the oval that, that forms the cartouche. And immediately the accusation was, okay, they didn't steal the cartouche, but they took samples from it. And so I called Dominic again, Dominic goes and said, listen, come on, I mean, there are scratches on this cartouche. <laughs> did you or did you not take it? And he kept yeah. insisting no. So anyway, here we go to Robert Schock now. Robert Schock sends those pictures. And in 2003, when he went there, uh, the pictures are very, very clear. That he used high-definition cameras. Mm-hmm. And clearly the cartouche in 2003 was not damaged. Nobody, it, there was no marks of sample taking. Okay. However, however, in the picture of 2006, there were these markings as uh, they were photographed by the inspectors when they went there after Hawass' uh, accusation. So that was proof positive to me that the, uh, the, the Germans, although had taken graffiti uh, samples, they had not taken it from the cartouche. It was a fact. And so there we are at this position where it was uh, imperative that we clear this, because as you may or may not know, uh, a criminal case has been opened by the by the Egyptian authorities. Oh, it's gone to that level, I guess. Huh? Okay. Oh yeah, they've arrested the the six Egyptians, uh, accusing them of uh, being cahoots with the Germans, mm-hmm. uh, of having aided them to steal the cartouche, which is not true, mm-hmm. uh, and they've been in jail since January. Oh my God! And, uh, I've I've been in in, in in a campaign in Egypt with the press and uh, and various authorities there to get them out. Hmm. Uh, unfortunately, they're still there. The, the trial has been postponed now to November. Hmm. And of course, the the Egyptians also opened a court case against the Germans uh, yeah. in absentia. Hmm. Uh, the last I heard of this is that the Germans will be fined in Germany. Hmm. But the problem is this: uh, is that it's a fact that the cartouche was not touched by these Germans. It's, it's, a, it's one of those visual facts. We have the proof, we have mm-hmm. the, the, the signed confirmation by Robert Schock. And by the way, it isn't just Robert Schock. We managed to get other pictures from various documentaries. Yes. It, it's, that's it. However, okay. here's the weird thing. Okay. The weird thing is that we know for sure now that the cartouche has been damaged in between 2003 and 2006. And this is a problem. Because at that time, Zahi Hawass was responsible. So the whole focus is now shifted on who's done it yeah. between those dates and whether Hawass will take the responsibility. Okay, so, so that's the story. Okay, yeah. so so, so tell, tell me that. So obviously this is a, was a personal grudge between you and Zahi Hawass. Uh, yeah, believe me, if it was true, I'd be in jail. I went yeah, to Egypt several yeah, times after yeah, the accusation. Yeah. I've so, actually been in court. To yeah. defend the Egyptians. So. That's, that's good to know. And uh, uh, given his background, nothing is surprising. He's like uh, an Egyptian Barnum and Bailey circus uh, <laughs> guy. Well, but, uh, you may or may not know this, but uh, <laughs> there is there is another investigation going on with the U.S. Department of Justice. Yes. Did you yes, know this? Yes, the one with National Geographic giving him funds. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. this man has been... Uh, well, we, want, we want to yeah, talk yeah. about okay, him. On. We want to talk about him. But I, I, the final point that I would like to make or uh, understand from you is the two Germans uh, took these samples. They test, tested them, and what are the results? That the uh, uh, the uh, given date of uh, twenty-five 
100 BC is wrong and it's much older? Do we have any no, proof no, no, of no. anything, or was it just that they wanted to prove that Jews built the pyramid? No, 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 no. This, frankly, this, I know Domenigoris very well now, and I've looked at all the, the his uh, his uh, documents. Yeah. Their intention was to test this cartouche. The problem is that you know it's one of those things. I gave a conference yesterday here in, in Minneapolis that we've known of the existence of this cartouche since uh, since 1837. Okay. And amazingly, the only the there's been an accusation in the 1980s by the author uh, Zachariah Sitchin that they might be forgeries by the British explorer who discovered them in 1837. Mm -hmm. So the only way to know for sure, uh, rather than all these theories and conspiracy theories, is to actually test the graffiti. Ah, now the problem okay. with this, the problem with this graffiti is that it is red ochre. It's actually ferrous oxide. You mm -hmm. can't carbon date ferrous oxide. But then. And not long ago, it was suggested that it might have been stuck uh, with uh, with natural resin, and therefore natural resin, yes, you can carbon date. So that finally, uh, although they did do something they shouldn't have done, uh, in many ways, I I support the idea that this uh, this graffiti should have been tested. Mm -hmm. Amazingly, Egyptologists were never curious about it. But anyway, uh, the testing. Now you asked what the test it proved. Now the, the, yeah, the results about the Jews build a pyramid and. Yeah. Uh, it's Atlantis. It's no. It's not at all what the the Germans had in mind. Uh -huh. This was made up by the uh, by the Chinese whisper of the media. Mm -hmm. What they wanted to to know is whether Cartouche was contemporary with the pyramid, or whether there was good reasons to believe that it might have been a forgery. Okay. Uh, now, ironically, they took the samples not from the Cartouche, from the from a graffiti nearby. Well, at least that would have said that at least the graffiti was. The problem is this that the sample they took uh, was not large enough. They took about 3 milligrams. was not large enough to carbon date it properly. Uh. And the result, well, let me tell you what they told me, okay? Uh -huh. So, and uh, to jump the gun a bit, all these samples, by the way, have been returned now to the Egyptian authorities. However, they did test the sample, and the result of the sample is, no, they couldn't get a date from it, but apparently the red ochre paint from this uh, relief chamber, from Campbell's chamber, had a element that should not have been there, and that was aluminium. Now, they will not put their uh, their reputation on this. They definitely found traces of aluminium, but they are not sure whether the aluminium came from the spatula that they used or whether it was actually in the paint. In order to prove this, they have to go again and get a, another sample to to be sure. If it is not from this spatula, then it, of course, raises a huge question. And the question would be either, yes, this uh, graffiti is a forgery, it was paint that had aluminium in it, because aluminium did not exist in, in the time of the pharaohs, or that uh, it, did, it did exist at the time of the pharaohs, which make, would make us consider that uh, they had the technology that we haven't worked out. <laughs> Okay, so it leaves, okay, so it that, leaves a question. The red ochre paint. It leaves questions. Hold on. Go ahead. The red ochre paint. Now, for the black, uh, the, the samples they took from the ceiling of the king's chamber, that's even more interesting. In fact, that was their main objective. And let me be clear on this. They took samples from the edge of the beam, and there, all the beams had these strange black marks on the edge as they rest on the wall. What they saw when they went up there at close close range 
is that it wasn't soot, which everybody suspected. It might have been soot from torches or fires, mm -hmm. but it was actually something encrusted in the granite. Now, that is weird, because for something to encrust in the granite, it must be really very, 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 very uh, dense and, and, and strong material. Mm -hmm. uh, I can tell you that much. Okay. They found something, and whatever it is, now I'm under I'm under obligation not to reveal. The reason is this: it's not because we don't want to tell you. The Egyptian authorities have insisted that if uh, the, uh, the, the the result that they got must be published through the Egyptian Antiquity Department, and they've agreed to this. Mm -hmm. So there's all these uh, legal discussions now as to how it's going to be published. But I can tell you one thing: they found something that should not be there, and that that's something that should not be there. Uh, in my opinion, or their opinion, and mine as well, is that it will change our perception of how this pyramid was constructed. Mm. In other words, what sure. were, was the equipment used to cut those beams and to lift them and place them in the Ah, we come right. back to somebody like Chris Dunn's theory, perhaps. Um, yes, Chris Dunn is a very good <laughs> friend of mine. And yes. I can only say this, and I cannot tell you what it is because I would break my, my, my promise. I, I understand. Listen, the book that you have uh, updated uh, uh, is, is fascinating. We don't have uh, any uh, as much time as it would take to go through the whole book. By the way, the book is Secret Chambers Revisited, The Quest for the Lost Knowledge of Ancient Egypt. It was first written by Robert Bavall in 1999 and recently has been updated. Uh, and actually, he has a uh, subtext, and his title is A First-Hand Behind-the-Scenes Account of the controversies surrounding modern explorations at Giza. Now, I want to ask you, in the time we have remaining, to talk about three sections in the book that I've been fascinated with and that you have added. You, you uh, more than Graham Hancock, even uh, Robert, uh, excuse me, even uh, 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 John Anthony West and Schock have covered some interesting areas. Now, uh, Rudolf uh, Gannonbrink's uh, uh, was an, a German engineer who in the late right. 1990s went into the Queen's Chamber ba and, I, uh, and, and you can give me the pretext on this but he was able to use these robots to travel up into the shafts and in one of his um, uh, uh, tests he actually encountered a door now right. what I want to ask you is uh, and this has been discussed by people like Chris Dunn, Robert Schock, uh, uh, most of the prominent uh, alternative uh, uh, theorists on what the use of the Great Pyramid was for. But in your book, you reveal quite a bit of information about the uh, uh, Gannonbrink's uh, discovery. Can you talk a little bit about this door and what he discovered? And also, the most prominent thing that I think you reveal that I haven't read about is the writing that was discovered on the back side of the door itself. So okay. can you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. Well, again, to to brief you very uh, on this matter, Rudolf Gantenberg uh, uh, was working under the aegis of the German Archaeological Institute. Mm -hmm. uh, I met him a couple of weeks before he started the exploration of the shafts in uh -huh. the Queen's Chamber. Uh, there are shafts that shoot out of the Queen's Chamber, uh, and they do not pierce the pyramid. They, they stop somewhere inside. Nobody knew 
how far they went and what was the, at the end of them. There are shafts, of course, in the king's chamber, but these pierce the pyramid right through. So there you are. And again, one of these strange situations where these shafts were known to exist since 1872. Uh, and yet nobody had bothered to, to, to explore them. So here is Ruth of Gantebrick in 1993, Hello. to be precisely in March, and uh, he has built a small machine, a little robotic machine, he called it Wupawet 2, and, uh, and managed to get this, uh, this machine uh, all the way up the southern shaft of the Queen's Chamber, uh, 60 meters deep into the core of the pyramid, and uh, to the surprise of everybody, found a small trap door. Uh, it's about eight inches by eight inches in a uh, rectangle with two uh, metal uh, handles. Uh, of course, this, this, uh, uh, I was the, the man with the Gantebrake who brought this story to the media. It, it, mm -hmm. it went viral, of course, in those yes. days. That was before the internet, by the way. So yes, <laughs> it, was, it was picked up. It was picked up by everything. Well, as you can imagine, a door inside the Great Pyramid, was a huge sensation. Yes, and uh, followed a huge polemics as to what who was going to open this door. Uh, uh, the whole thing deteriorated into a political battle with Zahia Was and, and yes. uh, myself. And anyway, ten years later, Gantebrick has abandoned the chase. He, he was totally disgusted with all this uh, hanky panky. And the job was done, it was given to the National Geographic uh, Society to uh, do a live show. Uh, they had built another machine, and they were going to, they announced that we were going to open this door. I don't know if you remember, this was in 2002. Yes. And uh, it was quite a hyped program. In incidentally, this is why there is the U.S. Uh, Department of Justice investigation, is that we didn't know at the time that they had... Uh, agreed with how was to pay him a stipend of something like two hundred thousand dollars for life. So was that an annual payment uh, to, to? Yes, yes. Oh yes, my God. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. He was on. Uh, he was. He was. Uh, he was uh, nominated explorer in, rem in, in, in exploring residence mm -hmm. of the National Geographic Society emeritus. That means for life. Yes. And uh, I haven't seen the contract they have with him, but basically he was getting $200,000 a year. Anyway, that's yeah. another story. So, the National Geographic did a live show. I happened to be there, by the way. I was, of course, very curious to see what they were going to do. Mm -hmm. And uh, what they did is they, they got to what we call now the Gantebrick door, and instead of trying to open it, they drilled a, they drilled a small hole and they inserted a fiber optic uh, camera. And uh, this was all live, by the way. And uh, to the surprise of everybody, 50 centimeters away from the Gantebrick door was another door. So that was that. Uh, they explored the northern shaft, but this was not on, on, on TV. They did it, this on, uh, on the quiet. Mm -hmm. And in the northern shaft, again at the same distance, about 60 meters deep, they found another door. Hmm. So there we are in 2002 with two doors on each side of the pyramid at the end of the shaft and a second door behind the Gantebrick door. And then here we go, waiting another 10 years. Don't ask me why, but uh, all sorts of conundrum started again. And, but basically 10 years later, to be precise, in uh, 2000 and sorry, eight years later, in 2010, just a few months before the revolution, by the way, mm -hmm. Hawass had contracted a group of scientists from Leeds University in England who had, again, built a third machine. And the idea was that they were going to try and lift that door 
uh, began to break door and see what was beyond the, the, the second door. But in fact, what they did was again to insert a fiber optic camera. But this time, the fiber, fiber optic camera could swivel around. Mm. And to the surprise of everybody, on the floor was three hieroglyphs in red graffiti in red ochre again this graffiti thing that uh, we talked about earlier okay so before we describe this graffiti tell us again this is a shaft in the queen's chamber is it facing east west north south no it's facing south it's, it's facing, facing south, south. And, and let me tell you the curious thing about this shaft i'm the discoverer of the alignment of this shaft yes uh, I published an article in 1990 showing that the shaft, because we know that these shafts in the King's Chamber and mm -hmm. in the Queen's Chamber were pointed to star systems that were very important to the Egyptians for their rebirth rituals. Right. They had uh, this kind of uh, stellar cult in which the, the pharaoh was going to be converted into a spiritual star being. Okay. Anyway, the shaft in the Queen's Chamber, uh, uh, I, I discovered, and this is well accepted in Egyptology, pointed to the star Sirius. The star Sirius is the star of rebirth, identified to the goddess Isis. So that makes this shaft very, very mysterious, because whatever might be behind this door has something to do with the rebirth ritual. Hmm. And your guess is as good as mine before you ask me. But, <laughs> but anyway, this hieroglyph. Now, let me tell you that for many, many years, architects, mathematicians, and engineers have known that the pyramid is designed using prime numbers. In other words, that the, whoever designed this pyramid, for some reason, used prime numbers. And the, the unit they used in, in those days was known as the royal cubit. And now prime numbers is very interesting because prime numbers indicates to any scientist today are very, very special numbers that would indicate if you use them in a series, for example, if you use 3, 7, 11, and so forth, the numbers that are not divisible by themselves. Uh, the, the, sorry, the, the, they're not divisible into two two bits. Okay. So, so you have three, seven, eleven, and you go on. Now, the odd thing is that the numbers that are encountered most in the design of the pyramid is seven and eleven. Uh, that's very very interesting, uh, because here is the big surprise that it's always been suspected that there is some sort of code that there is some sort of code in this design, that it might be a message in prime numbers, in mathematical uh, form. There are other strange constants in the design of the pyramids, such as the, the value pi and the golden section, uh, the Fibonacci series. Uh, and, and these have justifiably been seen as maybe a certain language that is used mathematically. Now, the big surprise to everybody is that these three hieroglyphs behind the Gantubic door are numbers. And again, to the surprise of everybody, there are three numbers. Mm. One, twenty, and a hundred, which form the number 120, which is, of course, 11 squared, 11 times 11. And now, of course, uh, everybody's thinking that this might be the actual code, the, the key to, to decipher this monument. And that's where we all stand today. Okay. Uh, I must say that it's very, very intriguing because here we have a monument that responds to astronomy very intensely. It, mm -hmm. It's aligned to the cardinal direction with high precision. It has shafts pointing to star systems, Orion's belt, the star Sirius, the circumpolar stars. And then this prime number uh, design. In short, the pyramid is expressing itself 
in a universal language, and that is very, very interesting. And of course, whatever is behind this door might resolve the mystery that uh, that we're all trying to solve. Hmm. It's curious. Now, uh, for the benefit of our audience who haven't read your work, Robert, would you tell us, please, what your feeling uh, 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 the for the uh, Great Pyramid is? In other words. Uh, Dunn felt it was a power ger- generator. Uh, 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 a number of others have felt that it uh, dealt with, it was a pump of some kind. In fact, there's even a, uh, an American engineer who's built a pump that simulates uh, what the uh, various shafts were used for. What is your feeling uh, on the actual uh, uh, creation? What was the creation of this massive uh, structure for, and if you could also enlighten us, what is your feeling of its? Who are the creators? Now, most feel that it's 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 pre beyond pre dynastic Egypt, uh, by several thousands of years. But what what is your feeling on that? Uh, okay, let let me start with with a metaphor. Uh, I was in fact with Robert Schock uh, a few months ago in Bulgaria, and. Uh, uh, to cut a long story short, the organizer of our visit was a musician from the Sofia Philharmonic Orchestra. And uh, he told us about, he was a clarinet player, and he told us all about this, how he played clarinet and played Mozart in concerts and so forth. He explained us about the frequency and all this business. Mm-hmm. And it occurred to us that if we were given a clarinet, I mean, I have no idea, I can't play musical instruments, I, I, I can't even read music, mm-hmm. I wouldn't know what to do with it. The pyramid is an instrument. It's an instrument, and we don't have the player. It's clearly intended, it has a function. Now, the function, now we ha- I'm, I'm the sort of person who sticks to the context. We have texts that speak about the uh, ideologies of the pyramid builders, although not in the Great Pyramid, but pyramids of the Fifth Dynasty. You know, Giza, the pyramids of Giza, the pyramids of Khufu is from the Fourth Dynasty. The Fifth Dynasty pyramids are loaded with inscriptions. They're known as the pyramid texts. And there it is very, very clear. Uh, they're very obscure texts, of course. They're very occult. They're meant for, uh, for uh, high initiates. But it's very clear to understand that the intention of the pyramids were to convert the physical dead body of the king into a stellar entity so that he could depart into the sky and join his ancestors, his, uh, his divine ancestors, in the sky, in that region of the sky where the constellation of Orion is. So that's what they tell us. Mm-hmm. The big question is, did they do it? You know, or is it just mere superstition? There's something about the Great Pyramid that... Uh, let me tell you this, because uh, for many of your listeners who have not been there... I, I was born in Egypt, by the way. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I decided to write a book. I wrote several books uh, between 2006 and 2008, literally in an apartment that was literally in front of the Great Pyramid. <laughs> I, I spent, I, honestly, I spent my days, my, my evenings, my breakfast uh, next to this monument. And it is a monument that no matter how many times you visit it, no matter how many times you see it, it, it's baffling. It's like it shouldn't be there. Right. It's too big. It's too precise. It's too mysterious. We're here in the 21st century. There's been thousands and thousands of researchers trying to figure it out. 
We don't even know how it was built, let alone its function. But if we stick to the uh, what the, the Egyptians themselves say, it served as a metaphysical machine, if you can call it that, as a resurrection machine, if you can call it that, as a transformation machine to do what they say is to convert the physical body into an astral entity. And that's why it's four, according to them. And when you go in there, when you visit, the, have you been in there, by the way? I have not had a chance to visit. Hey, come on my tours. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I we was in there. I was in there uh, with a group of fifteen Americans last week. Uh-huh. I was actually in the Great Pyramid, in the King's Chamber, there with fifteen people. And let me tell you, I visit the pyramid thousands of times, but the same sensation grabs you. You just can't figure out the interior design of this monument. It, it's, it's totally bizarre. I mean, you enter through a, 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 an ascending passage, which you have to crouch. You emerge into this giant grand gallery, which is about almost 50 meters long. It's nine meters high. It's almost like a cathedral within the pyramid, mm-hmm. uh, amazingly designed with, uh, with cobbled blocks forming a cobbled ceiling. Uh, you can't even pass a blade through these rocks, yeah. blocks that weigh 60 to 70 tons. It's one of the strange... And totally bare. It's yeah. like you're inside a musical instrument. There's nothing, nothing there. Mm-hmm. And nothing has ever been found. You, you feel like you're in some sort of machine. Yeah. And then you emerge from the Grand Gallery, uh, crouch again, go through the various uh, passages, and emerge into this king chamber, which is made of solid granite, blocks that weigh 60 to 70 tons, with just an empty box. And you get this feeling as weird as it may seem, and let me tell you this, because I'm an engineer, and I'm very, I'm one of these annoyingly skeptical person when we start talking <laughs> metaphysics. Yeah. But you can't escape this feeling that these people, however strange it may seem, may have succeeded in finding a way to do what they say they were doing with this monument. Now, I know a lot of people were jumping on this one, but that's the feeling you get. It's like there was something in there that they took in there, they tell us that it took the physical body of the king, and then it's not there anymore. The pyramid was sealed. That's the weird thing about the pyramid. It was sealed. It was only, it was only opened up in the ninth century. Mm-hmm. The relief chambers were sealed, as I was telling you. They yeah. were opened in 1837. The shafts were sealed. Nobody could have gone inside this pyramid for thousands of years, and yet it was empty, totally empty. Now, it's certainly a lot of wasted energy and, 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 and material and effort to build a monument and put nothing inside it. Yeah. So all I can tell you is that as, and I'm going to get pillared on this, but now I'm talking metaphysics, so I'm obliged to do so. All I can tell you is that the impression you get is that the Egyptians somehow succeeded in doing what they said they were doing. Now, how they did it, I have no idea. <laughs> And, and that's where I stop. Okay, you know, so uh, in other words, what you're saying is they figured out a way to transmute flesh into some other vibration or something. Is that what you're yeah, saying? Yeah, you're, you're looking at the hardware. I, I'm looking at my little computer on, on my desk right now. Yeah. And basically it's made of, of plastic, metal, and, and, and that's it. Yeah. Now, now to, to, to get this thing started, I need energy. I need to plug it in with batteries or through the mains. And when I've got that plugged, I need a processor to, to make it work and a program. What we're looking at the pyramid is literally the hardware. We don't have the energy. We don't know what the energy is. And we certainly don't know what the program is. All I can tell you is that from their, 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 uh, their texts, 
that they 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 needed somehow to align it to the to the current direction. They needed to have shafts pointed to certain stars. Mm-hmm. They needed to have prime numbers to design this model. In other words, that all this put together formed the 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 the, the, the machine, if you like, this metaphysical machine. Mm-hmm. And what we don't have today is the the energy, whatever it took to get it started. Okay, that's how it feels. Okay, let let me just conclude with that. Uh, uh, let me ask one more question of that, and then I'm going to ask you to, in, as, as quickly as you can, discuss the uh, hermetic wisdom or the texts that are a big part of this book that you've written. But before we go to the hermetic wisdom, I want you to tell me or what your feeling is, and our audience wants to hear from you, who built that monument. It, it, it's so radically... Uh, different than anything else there, uh, ex- except maybe the Osirian, which is uh, Osirion. Is that, is that how you pr- pronounce the it? Osirian in Osirion, uh, Abido, which yes, is made yes. of uh, megaliths of uh, pure granite and, and stacked in such a way that it doesn't seem like it's from dynastic Egypt at all. But anyhow, what is your what is your conclusion uh, uh, after you've been there for so many years? I mean. Do you feel that it is from a, a race of beings who had an engineering genius and a, no doubt, no a, doubt, a, I mean, a subtle wisdom to be able to say, look, this here, as you say, Robert, here is the mechanism. All we need is the software or the infusion of some chemical combination or whatever to activate this this device. So, who did who built it? That's the question. Well, Quickly. <laughs> yeah, very quickly. I mean, the, the funny thing about the pyramid is, as I said, it's anonymous. But having said this, we know that the Egyptians themselves of that epoch were very fond of writing. We have monuments that are before the Great Pyramid. If we accept the chronology of the Egyptologists, which places it in 2500 BC, in the epoch of uh, King Khufu, well, we have monuments, we have actual tombs around the Great Pyramid that contain texts. And then, of course, as I said, we have pyramids that follow the Great Pyramid loaded with text, the pyramid text. So why is this monument anonymous, totally anonymous? I mean, it doesn't make sense. If I was, if I was the commissioner of this monument, and uh, I would want people to know that I'm the man who built it. Yeah. Nothing. It doesn't contain nothing. Uh, not only no text, but nothing. It's totally bare. It's, it's one of those great mysteries. It's as if... It's challenging us. It's a challenge. It's a kind of work me out, figure it out, find out what I mean, find out who put me there. Yeah. And and we are we are the custodians after thousands of years with the right technology, or I think we have enough technology to work it out. The big problem is that the Egyptian authorities have put a blockade, uh, and particularly Dr. Zahir was. He hasn't allowed, as you know. Yeah. Uh, people like uh, Robert Chalk, uh, John West, uh, Graham Hancock, myself, to get anywhere near. Yes, we can visit it, but we need to go with instruments, we need to go with sonar instruments, we need to go with radars, and he hasn't allowed this. And without that, you know, we, 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 our hands are tied. I'm sure that this monument contains a huge surprise. It's too big. It's too precise. It's too mysterious. <laughs> You know, and we have those doors. I mean, maybe that would solve the mystery. And yeah. there again, we're 20 years after the discovery of the doors, and they're still closed. So, all I can tell you is that, from a gut feeling, 
God feeling, whoever designed, let alone build this monument, were geniuses. Geniuses that don't fit the context that these pathologists tell us. I mean, they're telling us that we're dealing with an epoch that there was no wheel, there was no police, there was no iron, there was no bronze. In fact, there was nothing. Yeah. There was brutal manpower and strings and pieces of wood. You can't build this monument with that, with that context. I'm, yes. As you may know, I'm a construction engineer by profession. I would be baffled to try and construct a monument of that size and that accuracy without any equipment. Yeah. I, I really would know where to start. So we've got a huge mystery here, and I think that, to me, this is the crime, is that if we don't try and, and solve it and we accept it as being some sort of bizarre tomb for a pharaoh, Maybe in a thousand years, maybe in two thousand years, people will, will blame us for not working it out. Maybe it has a message for the planet. I don't know. Ah, but that's the impression you get. Very good. That is something to think about. It may have something encoded that when uh, uh, decoded, it has a message for those of us living in, on the Earth. I'll tell you what the message reads so far from the astronomy. It's giving us a date of 10,500 B.C. Mm-hmm. It's giving us coordinates in the sky, pointing at specific constellations. Mm-hmm. And it's giving us a mathematical language which, which we haven't yet understood that may explain why they're doing this. I mean, what more mystery do you want? I mean, what... what I mean, it, to me it's incredible yeah. that here the human race, we're in the thir- 21st century, we know of uh, how the, our, 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 our galactic system is formed, we know there are exoplanets, mm-hmm. we know there is a mystery, we don't even know our origins, we have no idea where the human race comes from, and here is this monument standing yes. in the desert with all these factors. Yes. It may be what the Egyptologists say, but then it may not be. Yes. And we'll be blamed for not having um, tried to work it out. You know, so much of your book does discuss the the curious behavior of the uh, uh, Egyptian uh, uh, hierarchy, uh, which at one time was under uh, Zahi Hawass. In fact, you even get into the Americans issues uh, with Mark Lerner, uh, who's the most prominent American Egyptologist, but I I would rather leave that for our readers to actually grasp and understand, even though it's a huge part of the book that you have written, uh, and it's a very important part because, as you say, we are being blocked from discovering the true purpose uh, beyond conventional Egyptologist education. And my biggest problem as a a researcher in the Central American area is the anthropologists and archaeologists are limited in their education and are afraid to go beyond that uh, unless it's proven to them that there is evidence for an alternative theory, alternative information, alternative uh, data to, to consider. But as a rule, Egyptologists and uh, classically trained Orthodox anthropologists and archaeologists are very afraid to take alternative uh, views of their of of ancient buildings, and that's a real problem. Yes, you're absolutely right. I mean, on the one hand, you can't blame them. I mean, of course, we can't let anybody come and, and mess around with these monuments. Which is one, a great part of my book, by the way, because a lot of people have been allowed to mess around with these monuments who should not have. <laughs> yeah. However, however, yes, it's true, and uh, I fully support uh, the professionals who are reticent to hand over these monuments to amateurs. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. or people who don't know what they're doing. But, you know, Robert Schock is not an amateur. Uh, Graham Hancock is a, is a professional journalist who's proved his worth. I'm a construction engineer. And besides, I mean, uh, any any exploration or any investigation will be supervised and properly done under the antiquity department. So we're not talking about right. Indiana Jones going there with lassoes and, and gunpowder and blasting our way into it. We're talking about proper, well-organized expeditions, probably through universities or institutions. Having said this, having said this, there is a problem, and the, the problem is peer pressure. Uh, there is a consensus that's been established that is that they're very reluctant to alter. I mean, all the textbooks will have to be changed if this pyramid is much older, if, if the Egyptian chronology that they've established is wrong. So, you know, of course, there's, there's huge resistance. But, you know, like we always say, truth is truth. Uh, there's one thing that isn't democratic in this world, by the way, and that's truth. You don't vote on truth. You don't have Egyptologists saying, we have a consensus on truth. You know, if one person is right, then it doesn't matter if there's a million people who are wrong. Yeah. We know this from history. You know, we have Copernicus, we have uh, Newton, we have Galileo, you know, that the, 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 the whole society were against them, but they were right. And here we are, you know, there are people who do have very good uh, uh, research, very good ideas. I mean, for example, take my case. I've, I've fought for 30 years to finally get Egyptologists and other archaeologists who are working on these monuments to consider astronomy. Astronomy is clearly a key factor to understand these monuments. But before that, you know, they were poo-pooing astronomy because, uh, you know, they were saying, you know, astrologists and charlatans and nutcases and so forth. So there's been some progress, but there you are. It's, it's one of those very difficult things. And I have to say this. I'm one of these delighted people who is very happy that Zahiwas is out of the way. So perhaps now, uh, with a more reasonable and more organized uh, new minister, we may get some, some, some head-on on this. Okay. So um, in the final couple of minutes that we have left, Robert, uh, and, and I'd love to talk to you directly about uh, Zahi Hawass. Uh, I think that he is a uh, has been a problem for as long as he's been on the uh, Supreme Council. Uh, but let's talk really quickly about a portion of your book that does apparently relate to the Great Pyramid and some of the other anomalous features on the Giza Plateau, and that's the Hermetic Wisdom. Can you tell us just a little bit about what you have discovered and its importance in understanding uh, the pyramid? Well, uh, the Hermetic text, uh, as you know, uh, were uh, written in Alexandria. I'm from Alexandria, by the way. I was born in Alexandria. And uh, had been uh, lost uh, for uh, over 1,500 years. They were rediscovered in Italy. In, uh, in the Renaissance, as in, uh, in Florence, and hit the scene because these texts, uh, when they were read by the Italian philosophers, um, completely surprised them because they were highly sophisticated ideas. But one of the tenets of the Hermetic text is as above, so below. There seems to be an insistence uh, by uh, ancient Egyptians through these hermetic texts and many other cultures by the way that there is some sort of correlation between what goes on in the sky and what goes on on the ground now we know there is of course uh, we're affected by the seasons we're affected by the uh, the change in, in weather caused by the gyration of our planet and its rotation but they seem to think there was something much more something to do with, with the spirit 
and and what the paramedic takes in a context since you asked me to go very very quickly on this yeah they suggest that man has a divine spark that through knowledge through the search for gnosis as they call it uh, the greeks the, the search for knowledge and not just knowledge outside the knowledge within us you can reach that divine spark in other words that humanity can become divine its goal is to uh, transcend the 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 state they're in this this status we're caught that we don't know our origins we don't know what's after death mm-hmm. and reach the divine status uh, i recommend by the way that people should read this this text they're, they're very very um uh, inspiring because it gives a vision that the human race is capable of some amazing mission which is the the quest for divinity the quest for immortality the quest of reaching uh, our final destination to know who we are through that uh, that Gnostic search. So there you are. That's in a nutshell what I think of the Hermetic text. There's a lot more, of course, but okay. I don't think we have the time. No, thank you very much. The book is called Secret Chambers Revisited, uh, The Quest for the Lost Knowledge of Ancient Egypt. The author is my guest, Robert Bavall. Uh, Robert, where are you going to be? You're uh, you're going to be in the States for a few weeks or months or just a uh, couple of days. The, the conference in Minneapolis finishes tomorrow. I'm staying okay. another few days. I want to see the lake areas. Mm-hmm. I take the, the, the opportunity to visit a bit more. But okay. uh, may I say that... Uh, may, may I blow my trumpet? Please, no. Here? I want you to tell us what you're up to, the books, the websites. Well, Let us know what I, you're up well, I would like to uh, to say that uh, for those listeners who are interested to see this on location, who want to visit the pyramids and see what's inside, see with your own eyes, mm-hmm. then I conduct tours in Egypt. I conduct tours in March and in September. Okay. So please, if you're interested, go on my website, which is robertboval.co.uk. Uh, uh, Not .com. You'll, mm-hmm. You're going to get some pornographic sites. Somebody pinched my site. But it's www.robertboval.co.uk. You've got to you've got to have this on your bucket list. The, the Egypt and especially the Great Pyramid is a must. You you've okay. got to do it. Okay. It, it changes your whole perception. I had 15 people coming with me uh, last week in Egypt, and it's changed their life. I'm getting emails every day saying, you know, I've become a, uh, a kind of schizophrenic. I'm living half in Egypt and half. <laughs> yeah. It's, it has this effect on you, it's true. Wow. Once you've been inside the Great Pyramid, you'll never be the same. Wow. Okay, well, listen, okay. this was great. It was fantastic. You. Thank you for yeah. uh, for uh, joining us, Robert. I really appreciate the interview. This will be posted. I will send uh, a copy to uh, the uh, Baron Company yep. Inner Tradition so that you get a copy. And uh, uh, much success, and one of these days I hope to meet with you. Well, come on my tools. I can definitely do that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Thank okay, you, Robert. Great. Thank you very much. All right. Bye-bye. 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 So uh, that was Robert Bavall, and um, I think you will agree with me that uh, he had quite a bit to say uh, on his own behalf regarding this uh, conspiracy that Zahi Hawass uh, perpetrated, perpetrated against him. Um, but his book – and I have an early copy of it. It, probably, it will not be out until next month in November. Uh, his book is called Secret Chamber Revisited, and I strongly uh, suggest you get it. Um, I'm going to be posting some notes um, with photographs from the book 
and and some never before seen images of um, some early drilling that was done on the Sphinx and explorations of the Great Pyramid. So, uh, in my estimation, Baval is one of the true uh, experts, alternative experts on what we do not know or are uh, cannot. Uh, get from classically trained Egyptologists. Um, they will not look at engineering specifications. Uh, they uh, uh, kind of thumb their nose at the Gantabrink, um, um, uh robotics that went into the Queen's Chamber and, and discovered the door. So, um, and of course, uh, the Zahi Hawass. 30-year reign of, I don't want to say terror, but uh, manipulation of, uh, of uh, research um, is, is sad. And let's hope that things change um, for new research. So that's it for today. Um, I hope to hear from you all, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you.